Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Welcome to Real Cuff Radio. And we've got an awesome testimony again tonight. This lady was the first female to ever run a top 40 radio station. And her name is Lisa Stringer. And I'm going to let her just start into her story, and we'll see where it goes. But just sit back and get ready. Lisa? Amen. Well, it's an honor and a privilege to be coming through your radios right now, your computers, your podcast uh, means, uh, whatever they may be. Um, I just want to give all glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ just for the day that he's allowing us to breathe and, and take in. In the midst of all the chaos out there, in the midst of all the, the negative fodder on the news, we serve a mighty God. We serve a great God, and it is a privilege to have a day of life that we can, um, you know, be on assignment for him at the end of the day. A lot of us work and, uh, and think that we have to go to work to earn our bread uh, and to be able to feed our families. But really, there's so much, there's such a bigger purpose. We weren't destined just to come in and, and work hard and plow and, 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 uh, and reap from what we sow in ways that are so materialistic. But it is so much bigger um, when we really go into community together. So my story um, starts off, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you back to the, the late 1960s and early 70s. Uh, I was born in Houston, Texas, to parents who had immigrated legally from Mexico. Um, and growing up as a, um, you know, lower middle class American here in the United States, we were taught to just love this nation. We were asked to speak English in the home because my father wanted to honor the language of the nation. We were taught to be patriots and um, very just respectful of all. But at the end of the day, my daddy worked really, really hard to afford us, you know, one week a year that we could go on a family vacation. But when you watch television, you see a different lifestyle. You know, most of us don't get to enjoy what so many people see on TV. Um, you know, the family meals, the family conversations, the, the tidy, clean, perfect homes. Uh, it's just not realistic for so many people. And I think as the decades have gone on, it's even more unrealistic because the family unit has really fallen apart. At least it has in our nation and in so many others as well. And so growing up, I really longed to have what I saw on television. And what I saw on television, I thought was the good life. And so as I continued to live through the high school years and whatnot, I became fascinated with becoming, um, if possible, the first Hispanic Barbara Walters. I'm sure both of you guys are probably laughing at that right now. But um, I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be able to use my mind and, and, uh, and to attain financial success so that I could be a blessing. Through it all, I end up becoming, as you said, the first female program director to run a top 40 station in the U.S. Uh, I went on to Arizona State University and from there was offered a job in San Diego, California. At the time, uh, I'm about 21, 22 years old and making probably $50,000, $60,000 a year, which was a lot of money back then um, for, you know, someone and especially a female in the radio industry. And uh, slowly just began to climb my way up to the ladder to where I became the vice president of programming and promotions for a radio group out of California. 
in the midst of it all, I had the opportunity to mingle with celebrities um, in, in both television and, and radio uh, every once in a while from the big screen as well. And so in the midst of all of that, you, ob- you know, like many others, it's real easy to become enamored with what you see. It's real easy to become used to the, the steakhouse dinners, you know, at the fine restaurants where it's $50 a steak a la carte, you know, versus what you grow up, you know, you think you're, you're doing well when you get to go to Red Lobster and spend $20 on a meal. Uh, so those were the luxuries that I became very, very used to, uh, the flying first class, the getting backstage with all of these people that you see on television. And um, I was very, very happy, if you will. At least I thought I was happy. In the midst of it all, I'm attending church on occasion because I grew up knowing who the Lord Jesus was uh, and is, but I didn't have relationship with the Lord. I'd like to tell you that I was one of those very comfortable Christians that thought, well, I accepted Jesus as my Savior at a young age. I know I'm saved. I know I'm not going to hell. So um, why on earth would I give tithing and my money to the church? Made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Churches have big buildings. uh, You know, they have everything you ever need. They don't need my money. And if God owns it all, he doesn't need it anyway. And I hope that some of you all are laughing out there right now and some probably feeling sorry for my ignorance from back in the day. Uh, and I just feel that with what, with sharing that part of the testimony, I hope that somewhere someone is really actually more compassionate as I become more compassionate. And I almost want to get teary-eyed, which is just crazy, Pat and Julie, because I want to get teary-eyed because of my ignorance when I realized that everything I had, I thought I had because I earned it. I worked my behind off. I, 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 I worked 17 hour days, sometimes 18 hour days, sometimes just 12 and 15 hours, but I was working hard. I was a young lady of integrity. So if I had financial gain, I earned it. Never ever did I recognize in that time that Maybe I earned it with my physical labor, but the most incredible part is that God granted me the wisdom because all wisdom comes from him. All wisdom comes from him. And moreover, I was healthy and health comes from the Lord. The fact that he protected me who knows how many times from who knows how many crazy things that could have happened to me from car accidents to moving me from one location to another and I'll never know to the day that I stand before him. And even then, maybe it won't even matter anymore. I I can't speak into that. But I I say that to say that uh, it's real easy to judge the person next to you that only puts a few dollars in in the uh, offering when you don't know their story. You don't know their reasoning. And I think we have to give some grace there. And at the end of the day, let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. That becomes more opinion, so I'll stop on that. But um, I, I end up getting to the point where I would just make, you know, sometimes in some side promotions with celebrities, I could go make ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 cash in one day. And, um, and it just became money was just no object to some degree within reason. And I became enamored with the success and the status. And yet all along, I had a loneliness, a profound loneliness. I had a beautiful home. I had a limousine. I had nice cars. I had everything that the world tells you is fantastic and you want to achieve. But inside, I was lacking something. Um, 
And it was just the love of the Father. It was the love of our Heavenly Father that there is no money that could ever purchase that. And the most incredible part is that that love is free, and it's free for everyone. You can't find that freedom in a bottle of alcohol. You can't find that freedom and that joy in in a bag of drugs. You can't find that freedom um, and that joy in relationships, although they're, when God's in the middle of them, they're amazing, but there is only one who can truly give you the joy that every last one of us need to encounter, have, and sustain, and that is that is through relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and so in the midst of all of the craziness, um, I end up uh, saving myself, believe it or not, to get married uh, for the first time. Uh, and I say for the first time, and I'll get to that a little bit later, till I was 30 years old. And uh, in a business where I would go out to um, parties, because I would be invited to celebrity parties all the time, where I would see a lot of the people that you see on the big screen, or you see, uh, you hear their music on the radio, or see them on television. I was in the homes in Beverly Hills with these people, and you'd walk in, and I'll never forget that there were times where Uh, there would be a table and there would just be a mound of cocaine on the table. And on the side of that, there were lots of little blades and pieces of glass where I guess at that time, I now in retrospect, I'm realizing they were, they were doing, you know, they were doing the drugs. I won't go into specific terminology, but they were basically doing drugs. I can tell you not out of a brag because by no means was it, uh, do I deserve the credit? Although I will tell you, my mother put the fear of the Lord in me if I ever did drugs. I was one of those kids that if she said, don't do it, I didn't do it because I believed that something bad could happen. Whereas you have some kids that have the rebellious spirit and do what they're told not to do. I was actually scared of my mama and uh, scared that something could go wrong. And so I never did it. And I now know too in my Christianity that it was truly the grace of God that kept me because I can tell you that I can say I've never been drunk nor have I ever used any of the drugs that were always offered or provided or encouraged. I was encouraged to use, Um, but I really don't deserve the credit. I believe firmly beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was the many people that um, prayed for me decades of prayers from before for, for the future generations, praying for grandchildren, and I'm that grandchild that they would never stray. I was that grandchild. Perhaps I strayed, but God kept me from ever experiencing things that could have either taken my life, damaged me, or changed the course of my life and led me to roads that would have been very, very painful. Fast forwarding um, again to the age of 30, I get married for the first time. And I tell people when I ministered to ladies, I, I wanted to marry the first guy that wasn't trying to get me into the bedroom. And I say that because that's the reality of so much of society nowadays. There's no understanding or respect for consecration and saving oneself for their day of their marriage. And uh, I believe that saving yourself until the day of your marriage is possible, even for a 30-year-old, 40-year-old, or 50-year-old. There's really no excuse to not understand and obey and honor and treasure the Word of God. And so with that being said, I get married. Uh, I I thought I had a healthy, happy marriage. Again, I I am like a lot of people in society that call themselves Christian. I'm not stealing. I'm not robbing. I'm not mistreating people. I go to church every once in a while. I drop a few dollars in in the offering. I think everything is kosher and no comprehension of the depth of what the Lord wants with me. 
all along tugging at my heart. Again, pardon my getting sentimental, but I just think about all the years I wasted um, when God just kept reaching out for me and I kept denying him when he wanted a relationship with me and and I, I failed to acknowledge him. Uh, wow, the headaches I could have saved myself from. But anyhow, I marry and... Um, I, I immediately, my body started asking and ticking as a lot of young women do asking uh, for the fulfillment of being a mother. And I longed to be a mama. I longed to be a mama. And adoption at the time was not something I was familiar with. I, I really wanted to try to have a baby. And so for two years, I tried and, and uh, it was not something that came easily. But we, by the grace of God, two years later, I was, um, I gave birth to a beautiful little girl. And, uh, and she has been such a blessing ever since. Fast forwarding to the child's second birthday, um, I noticed that my, my then husband just really wasn't as interested in me as uh, in the natural way that a spouse should be interested in, in the other spouse. And uh, I never understood that because I, I thought, well, I, I'm, I'm a clean woman. And when I say a clean woman, meaning I, 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 I'm, I'm hygiene-wise, I take my showers, I uh, I keep a clean house. I take care of my husband. I treat him with respect. There was no wars or fighting uh, in the home. There was no uh, no noticeable disrespect, if you will. And um, and to my surprise, a week after my daughter's second birthday, my husband and uh, the three of us had gone to an Anaheim Angels game, and we came home and sat on the couch, and he said, "I'd like to talk to you." And uh, he asked me for a divorce. And when he asked me for that divorce, I was broken. Uh, It was something that outside of the fact that I do believe there was some physical abandonment that in retrospect, I recall that took place from him to me. um, I, I wasn't expecting that. I just was not expecting to hear the word divorce. I thought the word divorce was for people that fought people that looked for trouble, people that dishonored their spouse, people that didn't want to take care of their spouse, cook them a meal, take care of their clothes. Um, It was just totally something that came out of the left field for me that I, again, wasn't expecting. At that moment of brokenness, um, it took probably 48 hours of nonstop crying um, whenever I wasn't in the presence of my little girl. I, I put her to sleep, and then I would just cry the hours away. And I immediately called my accountability partner. And that was the best gift I could have ever been given by God at that time, was to pair up with somebody that was so in love with the Word of God and loved the Lord so much that they would not encourage me to hate this man, but they would teach me to forgive this man because he asked me for divorce because he didn't understand covenant through and with the Lord first with the Lord, and because he had the covenant with the Lord, he would have kept his covenant with me. And so this accountability partner, uh, uh, and a fast forward through the story a little bit, but the accountability partner would tell me, Lisa, you have to forgive him. And I thought, you have got to be kidding. And if you all will allow me to be so bold to say, and I mean this now, I don't mean it like this at all, but uh, I would used to think in my secular mindset, okay, or let me say that as a believer who really was not in relationship with the Lord, I thought, well, um, you want me to forgive him, I'm going to forgive him, but I could care less about him, because guess what, he's just going to burn in hell for what he did to me. And uh, I, I think back now at what I said, and I thought, oh my goodness, at the end of the day, 
the Lord loves him just as much as he loves me. And he died on the cross for all of our sins. And I, I can't imagine that if, if my ex-husband would have had a deep relationship with the Lord or even a relationship with God, that he would have done to our family what he did, which was dismantle it. I think he would have fought through our marriage, talked through anything that was dissatisfactory towards toward about the marriage. And, and, and by the grace of God, we could have worked through it. Um, the accountability partner told me I needed to forgive, and, and it was a process. She wouldn't just tell me. We would pray together for long periods of time, and, and she would ask me to get in, in the Word and read the Word. And not only did she ask me to get in the Word and read the Word, but she would talk to me about the Word and question what I had read and whatnot. And so she truly held me accountable for the healing process that needed to take place. In the midst of it all, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. At one point during the, the forgiveness part, and, and when I say forgiveness part, this wasn't something that happened in a week or two. I, I need to tell you, there was daily accountability. There was daily conversations. And, but but there were, this took months. This was a process. This took a few months to really find the depth of healing that I needed to find. And, and in fact, I would tell you it's, it's something that happens over the course of longer periods of time for other people. The key is not taking step backwards without taking many, many steps forward. You may fall or trip for a quick moment, but get yourself back up. Get yourself solid in the Word of God and thrust forward to the new destiny that the Lord has for you because His plans are great and mighty for each and every one of us. There is nothing that any one of us can do that would cause you to stumble or to, I mean, that, that, that would cause you intentionally to stumble or fail or for Him to reject us because we have fallen backwards. He is always a good, good Father that's extending His hand of love and compassion and grace to help you back up. The key is not trampling on the foot of grace, not abusing the grace that He has given us, but when you have a sincere and contrite heart, oh, what He can do with you. So in the midst of it all, I remember finally that I learned to forgive my ex-husband. I, I, I can genuinely say I, I forgave my ex-husband, but then my accountability partner said, Lisa, I, I need you to pray and forgive uh, the lady that he was cheating on you with because it turns out that he had been having an affair, a relationship with one of his coworkers. Well, oh my gosh, did that not break my heart even worse? Because for me as a spouse, I felt, was I not good enough? You know, you have all these feelings of doubt that the enemy wants to use against you. You you weren't pretty enough. You didn't satisfy him. You didn't take care of him. I can go on any number of lies that the devil tried to just whisper to me on a regular basis. But praise God for God, for the Word of God, and for an accountability partner that would remind me of the truth. The truth is that the truth sets you free. <laughs> That's what the truth is. And so so he, um, or rather my, she, my accountability partner, said, you need to begin to pray for the, this, the mistress, if you will. And I said, I'm not praying for her. I'll forgive him because he's the father of my child, but I won't forgive her. There's just no way. Well, you know, the Lord is amazing because when you read his word and you allow his word to work in you, God can do the impossible. And here I was forgiving the very woman that had destroyed my family, that had taken, had, had divvied up my home, divvied up my finances, made my child a statistic now. Uh, I, I never wanted her to be a statistic of a, of a divorced family. I didn't come from divorce. It was something that was foreign to my family. And here, here I was, you know, introducing something and I was going to be, so to speak, the black sheep of the family now. But, you know, 
the devil whispers a lot of things that aren't true, and the world throws circumstances and situations at you that aren't true, and we need to really embrace Jesus and embrace what his word is so that everything works according to his word and according to his will and not according to the lies of the enemy. All that to say that at the end of the day, I end up by the grace of God forgiving, uh, forgiving this lady. I never got to meet her, and truthfully, if I saw her, I, I would absolutely forgive her uh, in person. It's not something I'm running or looking to do, but God's got a sense of humor. <laughs> um, I forgave my ex-husband. I bless both of them. I have prayed for them that they would not only um, know that I forgave them, but I pray that someday for their sake that they would become my brother and sister in Christ. And for me to tell you that, is pretty powerful. That's only something the love of Jesus can do. In the midst of all that, I began to ask God to give me, God, I'm reading your Bible, and I'm falling in love with your word, and I'm fascinated by these amazing stories of people in the Bible, and and I want what they have. I want the the, the gift of prophecy. I I want the gift of dreams and visions. I want to be able to hear your voice. I want to be able to pray for people, and I I want to do like Paul. I want to lay hands on someone and see them see, not just in the the supernatural, but in the natural. And, and, And so I began to to pray and and see God in such a rich and deep way that I can truly tell you all that God healed me of abandonment, of the feeling of abandonment. God healed me of so many things that, that he was able to launch me now in healing to my destiny. I heard very clearly one night that I was to go to the mat that I was to move to Texas, the land of milk and honey. And I remember battling with the you know, battling with the Lord. And when I say battling, I mean going back and forth and saying, God, I'm not moving to Texas. I live in the Hollywood Hills. I live in California, rather. Everything is beautiful. The climate is perfect. I am not going to go to Texas humidity and flying cockroaches. There's just no way that's going to happen. In the end of the day, at the end of the day, the Lord wins. Um, he makes it very clear to me that Texas is going to be my land of milk and honey. I pack up my mom, who's a widow, and uh, was living in one of my rental houses. She comes in to live with me. And my daughter at the time, now she's getting close to, she's about two and a half years old. And with a broken heart, trusting God, I moved myself to Texas, and I began to volunteer full-time at a church. And the reason I volunteered full-time is because I felt I needed to give back to the youth for all the years that I took from, from them. And if some of you guys wonder, well, what on earth did she take from the youth? You know, the Bible is very clear that we're to be careful what we see with our eyes, because it's a gateway into our heart and to, and and. and we need to be careful what we hear uh, and let into our spirit. And so with that in mind, I was promoting very inappropriate music. A lot of the music that's on secular radio that our children are listening to encourages promiscuous relationships, encourages drug use, encourages dishonor and disrespect. Um, Women are degraded. You know, it's amazing with all these, you know, movements of empowering women, but yet the same people that are all concerned about being empowered are the ones listening to a lot of trash on the radio. Now, I know that's generalizing. I'm not speaking of everyone, but, but too many of us, you go into stores and you take note of what's being played 
And that and, and be careful what your children are exposed to because you are creating an environment that allows or could cause them to stumble or fall or fail. We need to get them used to righteousness and justice, honor and respect. Um, it, it is something so different that is available. So with all of that said, um, I wanted to give back to the youth. I began to volunteer full-time at the church. In the midst of it all, I meet an amazing husband, uh, an amazing man that becomes my husband along the way. And so with that, um, you know, there, I just want you to know that I would have never walked into my destiny. And I'll let you all ask a little bit about anything that you may um, be intrigued with or, or wanted me to, to direct my, my attention to. But I know that I know I would have never walked into the destiny of being able to walk into a healthy marriage that's going on 10 years if it had not been for the fact that God allowed me in the humility uh, and humbling experience of having been totally broken through divorce, if he would not have allowed me to forgive truly forgive, richly forgive, uh, and walk in complete healing, I would have never entered into the destiny that I have now. I just know that I know. I have a happy marriage. I am so blessed by a godly man that, that encourages me to walk in, in trust of the Lord, a man that honors God. My child is now being raised by um, her adopted father who loves her and adores her as his own. She's walking into a tremendous God-given destiny of her own, and I know it would not have happened if God would not have allowed me to first learn to forgive as I need forgiveness, too, on a daily basis. You know, I was telling my wife just some of the different names of these big celebrities and stuff you were dealing with, and and one of them that I, I know was, you know, mentioned was Beyonce, and I told her what you were just saying about what you see with your eyes and what, you know, well, no wife wants her husband or, or you know, girl wants her boyfriend sitting there watching, you know, her halfway dressed. And, you know, in their hearts, they're going, well, wait a minute, you know, I, I feel kind of fat today or I don't feel so good. And you're over here watching, uh, you know, these videos. And uh, it, it's it's sad. How's that sound? Absolutely. It's sad. And, and, you know, that's that's key right there. You know, we are dealing with an epidemic of pornography. Uh, there is a, a pornography issue in our country. There is a pornography issue. I, I don't remember statistics. I don't want to tell you incorrectly. But I can tell you that, that my husband gets phone calls on a regular basis from uh, leaders. I know chaplains that, that we've spoken to that um, are part of big, you know, they're chaplains in major companies, corporations, oil companies, and others, uh, and they have walked people through the addiction of pornography, and it's rampant. And it starts, as you said, you know, who wants to see, um, I don't want my husband looking at somebody that's half-dressed, if you will, but what's amazing, when you mention that person, I'm going to tell you a story without naming the name to show um, show honor, because I don't know where they are in their, in, in their place right now. But I'll never forget that there was one celebrity. We were He had done a, one of those venues that's like an intimate setting. This guy could sell out probably 15,000, 20,000 seat venues easily. But uh, it was one of those intimate settings. It was probably like five, 6,000 seat venue where they have a stage and everything, uh, it, it, you know, the, the stage rotates. So every seat's a great seat and it's constantly rotating. And I remember that this is a guy who sang more R&B 
uh, romantic ballads and things like that. And, and after he's done with the show, the last song he does, he said, you know, I just want to give all glory to God. And if it weren't God for God, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at and praise Jesus. And he does all of these things. And he sings this incredible uh, gospel song. And man, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. But three songs ago, we were talking about, um, you know, this, this guy was singing about having intimacy with all of these different women, one for Monday, one for Tuesday, one for Wednesday. And then they transitioned from that into God. And I guess when I was in the world, I didn't think anything wrong with it either. You know, you know, let's, let's sing these fun songs with great beats that are really, really wrong. Uh, and then we'll end it with God. And so we're all good. Then I, he gets in the tour bus and I happen to be in there with him and as some of the management. And he, there's three or four girls that come on the bus. And I don't know who these girls are, where they're fans. They're fans that he picked up from backstage, and he decides which one he was going to keep for himself, and the other two would go for his roadies. These girls, strangers, would offer to sleep with these people just to say they slept with a celebrity or just to say they slept with a roadie, okay, that, that, that got them to meet a celebrity. Well, in the midst that these girls are all kissing on these guys right in front of me, um, the, the phone rings, and the celebrity answers the phone. He says, hey, honey, how's it going? And um, and the guy says, well, everything is good. The show was great. How are my girls doing? In other words, he's asking about his children. And, and the wife says, you know, the children are good. So tell him I love him. I'll see him tomorrow. All of this conversation going on while I'm watching a girl on each side kissing on this guy and touching him very inappropriately. What a hypocrite. Here you just saying about God. You have other women all around you. That's the depravity of of, of this world and the confusion, and that's the illusion that even I, as a young girl, aspired for. Now, I didn't realize the nastiness of it. I just wanted to aspire to have the financial gain, the success, because it was very, I was enamored with, you know, not just being a nobody as an immigrant, uh, a child of immigrants. I wanted to be somebody. But when I saw how crazy it was, I was totally turned off by it, if that makes any sense. Oh, it makes total sense. You know, one of the other things I've mentioned on some of my shows before, never to date a radio DJ. And because I was dating this one in college, and every time there was some kind of problem, she would get on the air and talk about it. And I would get back to, uh, you know, my where my roommates were, and their girlfriends would be, oh, you need to apologize to her. And I'm going, what? And everything was said over the air. But I, I heard you. You were talking about how you had to get, you know, trying to get pregnant, and this went on for two years. And then about the time, you know, right before you got pregnant, you went in, and one of the DJs said, well, I've got to leave early uh, to take my girlfriend to get an abortion. And yeah, uh, that broke my heart. Um, I'll never forget that, too, uh, which is, is why I'm so pro-life. Well, I'm pro-life because the Bible says I'm to be pro-life. And uh, at the end of the day, I want to be in, a, in alignment with our Father and what His Word says and what the truth is. But it's exactly like you said. I was very intentional about being pregnant. That's a reality that a great percentage of our society has to deal with. There's a lot of barrenness. There's different reasons for it uh, that, that exist today. There's marriage marriage upon marriage in the church, in society, saved and unsaved people that are trying to get pregnant, that are using artificial insemination, that are, that are doing all types of methods to, to get pregnant. And every month when you're going through this process and you find out that you're not pregnant, it is heart-wrenching. I remember 
my pre-Jesus days, and when I say pre-Jesus, I mean pre-relationship with Christ, because here again, I was a professing Christian, but I was a professing Christian who just used the Lord for what was convenient for me. And so because of that, I didn't understand the love he had for me. I remember crying like a baby why I couldn't get pregnant, and that particular day, the DJ who sleeps around with all these people, you know, and by the way, I would go in sometimes when I would show up in the middle of the night and the the night DJs would have girls in there. And and I know what activities took place that were very inappropriate in the studio because I saw the evidence left around. I dealt with it, but the bottom line is you're right. It's a crazy world. uh, And they would use their power to gain authority into these girls' pants where they didn't belong just because the girls were enamored with the moment of fame, giving up something that's so pure, something that's so intimate that belongs in a very intimate place, not a public setting or a public room that can be invaded by anyone in particular. And so I remember this guy just, and I I remember having to go home sick when he told me he had to take his girl to get an abortion. And that's, imagine, that was pre-Jesus again. Even then I was so sick to my stomach and so hurt and I cried and I weeped and, 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 and that's the reality of what's going on. When these people talk about they want rights to their body and the right to do what they want, do they not understand that this baby that's within their womb wants a right to live too and has sensitive, has feelings and, and uh, they've proven that their nerve endings work and all of that. But uh, I think what we need to understand too as a society is that a lot of people that you see on TV, you know, and Unless they truly have, or again, I'm going to get back to the relationship with Christ. So many of these people on the, uh, Doug says they're compensating on the outside for the lack on the inside. They may look like they've got their life together, but on the inside, there is a big war going on. There's a battle for their soul. And, um, and I'm heartbroken at what I recall seeing the drunkenness, the, the, the abuse. I can't tell you the amount of drug use. I remember picking up one celebrity and he he would not go and do the radio interview until I got him two bottles of Don Perrier, Perignon, Don Perignon, which is a very expensive, at the time it was a $150 bottle of champagne. And he proceeded also to whip out a gallon-sized bag of marijuana, and he undid a uh, Cuban cigar, a very thick, big Cuban cigar, and he would re-roll it with the weed and smoke that. And that's what these people did before they did their interviews. So if that's who you want your children to look up to, we've got an issue. And when I say we, I mean as a society, we've got an issue because that is who a lot of these people stand by. Um, And we need to be people of prayer, hoping that these young people are redirected to truth. Yeah, unfortunately, and that is who these kids are looking up to because they don't know any better. And the parents don't seem to care, and they just let them listen to anything. Anything. And, you know, I, I was talking to my daughter last night or this afternoon, and we were talking. She was volunteering for a church group, uh, getting ready for the youth camps and the kids' camps. And she was asked to, to do something, and she was telling me, Mama, she said, these kids, she said, they they put me in charge, and they asked me to make sure everything was on securely and done right. And the kids you know, some of these teenagers, my peers, they made, they were just doing a sloppy job. And I asked them, why are you do? why don't we do it right the first time so we don't get in trouble and then we don't have to redo it? And the response from some of these kids was, well, we don't care. Who cares? And that's the problem. We're raising children and without discipline. 
We're teaching them that it's okay to talk back. It's okay to do what you want. It's okay to do what the world tells you to do instead of setting the standards that the Lord has set for us and do things with respect and integrity and righteousness and live happy. But instead, the righteous are, are, are mistreated. It, it's, uh, I, get, I get saddened by it, but yet I know this. Brother, we cannot lose hope. We need to keep moving forward. We need to keep doing our piece and our part. We can't become overwhelmed by all the negativity that we see. Um, we need to remember that we can make a difference every day. And if it's just with one person, let's not not make that difference because we never know who's going to be the game changer in the game. Hey, Julie, is there anything you would like to ask her? Yeah, I just wanted to move into a moment of... Uh she mentioned um, that she's been married for 10 years now. We've heard a lot of the beginning, but uh, would, you, would you just kind of explain maybe some stuff, you know, saving the best for last, how he redeemed, or just through you came for, through a divorce, you were heartbroken. How did he prepare you for something so good? Well, I'll tell you this. From the moment that my husband asked me for the, my first husband asked me <clears throat> for the divorce, Julie, I really, you know, I think all of us know that we are wife material, if that makes sense. Very few of us think we're set apart and think we're never to get married. Most of us, it, it, in, as children, we dream of a princess wedding or a beautiful wedding or emulate the, you know, if you came from, you know, especially my generation where m- many of us came from two-parent households, um, you, you want to emulate the beauty, the best and the beautiful part of that marriage that you that you saw witnessed or whatnot, or encountered, or knew of. And so I will say to you that from the time I was asked for the divorce, after, shortly after being heartbroken, I thought, God, surely this can't be it. This cannot be it. Um, I, you have to have more for me. God, I was destined to be a wife. I was destined to, to make a man happy. I know I'm wife material. You know, so that I think was one answer that I need to make sure people know that just because one person didn't see, for anyone that, that could be going through um, a divorce that, that, that truly feels that they did everything within their power. We're not perfect individuals, but within reason, you did everything you could to fight for your marriage, and yet you were still abandoned or left, be it male or female. That doesn't mean it's the end. If, if we were created to, to be a blessing, we are created to be in partnership, we were, be, we were created for greatness. And so for me, I wanted to be that spouse. And I said, God, I am calling forth that mighty man of God. The first time, I call it missionary ma- marrying. I missionary married. I married someone who I thought um, I could convince to love the Lord and to walk in righteousness. And if I can give one piece of advice to young girls who all of a sudden feel their clock ticking and they were career focused and all of a sudden they're thinking, man, I better get married before my prime years are gone, wait on God's best. Give your life over to God and wait on his best. Don't interrupt destiny because God will take care of you in the midst of you taking care of him, which means seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be added unto you. Seek first his words. 
seek first his will. Begin to hear from him. He'll move you in directions where your spouse is going to be. In the midst of all of that, when I came to Houston, I kept praying. Every day I would wake up my then three-year-old child. I kid you not. People may think I'm cuckoo, but it was wonderful time. It was a wonderful time in our life. We, um, we'd get up at four in the morning, sometimes three in the morning, five in the morning, and we would go into the prayer closet, and she knew. Ashley and I would put on worship music, and we would just worship God. We would fervently worship him. I didn't ask God for anything. I just told him how wonderful he was, how much I loved him, how much he meant to me, how he was my husband, my father, my all in all. He was Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah Nisi, my banner, Jehovah Rapha, you know, my healer. He was everything. Only after I felt a breakthrough and a tremendous peace would then I go into praying and saying, God, now I need you to know I want to be a wife again. I'm asking for my righteous man of God to come forth. God, I want him to be somebody who worships you fervently, who loves you more than he loves me, who will love you more than he loves Ashley, and then put us in alignment. And as I began to do that, do you know that I I firmly believe that God was aligning all along my future husband, my righteous man of God, my worshiper, and aligning things so that we could then eventually cross paths. And we did, and and we are going to go on 10 years. Um, and he is a servant of the Lord. He is a pastor himself, although not pastoring a church. He has a ministry that, that, that he founded 37 years ago and has faithfully been serving all over the world. And, um, and for him to take an, a divorced woman like me, and when I say that, you would have thought, because he gave his life over to the Lord at the age of 25, and he will tell you he led a promiscuous, crazy life before that. But once God gripped his heart and he was sold out for the Lord, he cut off his relationship that he was in and led a life of purity, and I mean physical purity, and as best he could, emotional purity to the Lord uh, until the day that we were married and uh, and stood before a pastor in the Lord and, and committed ourselves unto marriage. Um, he had saved himself during very prime years of his life because he was 25 when he was saved and 52 when he said, I do, for the first time for him and the second time for me. And I say that not to diminish a, a person who's divorced, but there, when you think about his story uh, of, of having saved himself, I think that if Doug were to share his story, he said, man, I was hoping God was going to bring me somebody that never been married, you know, no children, we'd be able to just start having children and everything was going to be perfect. But I think it's hilarious how God used a broken vessel like me uh, who has been repaired by the blessing of God and the love of God to present myself to him as a gift to him. And, uh, and it's been just the most incredible blessing. Our marriage has been just truly beautiful. We don't have a perfect marriage. We have a very healthy, good marriage. Um, and it's only something God could have done, and it would have only come through again, truly forgiving through the accountability uh, and truly trusting in God and living for Him. As I began to worship Him, partnering up with my then little girl, my prayer partner, God brought the miracle forth and, and, um, and, and walked me into an amazing destiny. I hope that gives you a better idea, Julia. I mean, I don't know if I went too far. No, that was good. Thank you very much. Well, Lisa, I'm going to ask you before we wrap up here, if you would pray over the women and the men that are especially the ones that have been divorced or have never been married and are, are waiting upon a spouse right now and, uh, and 
pray hope into their lives. It would be my honor. And I love the way you said that because I'm very careful, Todd, not to um, ever forget the men because sometimes the woman is the one that instigates the divorce, not just the man. You know, that works two ways. And, uh, and then there's also the widows, you know, those that have been widowed, boy, be it uh, male or female, you know, because of, uh, of, of whatever tragedy could have happened in the life of their spouse. And then I will tell you, I know of at least three women, all of them in their 50s, that have never been married and all have been kept pure uh, physically before the Lord until the day of their marriage. And they're hoping all of them are still believing and praying for a spouse. So I am believing that God is going to bring those forth. And so, Father, right now I come into agreement with the prayer of the righteous that are listening right now, Lord. And when I say righteous, I mean people that are just truly seeking your will in their life, that are intentional about trying to to follow your word. Father, none of us are perfect, but we have a heart after yours, Lord, that those of us that want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in our lives, God, that you would honor our desires. God, I pray, Father, for marriages that exist. I pray healing, hope, peace, joy, and love over them. For spouses right now that are contemplating a divorce, God, would you minister to their hearts, God? Would you give them the truth? Father, would you give them peace that they need to steward their relationships and bring healing salve into them, God, as they serve, Father, may they be served back with love. God, I thank you for restoration of of, of anger and pain, um, that we would go from that anger and pain that we would restore to healing virtue, Father, and to help, Father. I thank you, God, for those that are waiting on a spouse that have kept themselves, and even perhaps one that may be saying, why I failed somewhere along the way. Well, God, you make all things new. I thank you, Father, for those that are waiting on their handsome prince or their righteous fox. God, would you bring them forth in the name of Jesus? Would you cause, Father, for providential encounters and meetings, hearts to to, to fuse together as one as you guide and direct? And God, for those, Father God, that have walked through divorce, um, that that has already been solidified, God. If you have a destiny and a hope for them, Father, and a future for them, that God would include a spouse in the marriage again, I'm asking for you to do a miracle, Lord. I'm coming into agreement with their heart's desires to see the fulfillment of your truth in their lives. I ask for the children, if there be any children involved, Father, that the, that the families would become blended as you intend, Father. Would you use all things for your good and for your glory. God, I thank you for healthy marriages in our country and throughout the world. As people listen, Father, may they be encouraged that for you there are no impossibilities. If they could, one spouse could be in another country and another continent, God, but you can move them and direct them right where they need to be. May we let go and let you and trust you for all good things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. I, I want to thank you, Lisa. And I plan on, I'm going to get a hold of your husband, and I'm going to plan on having you both come back and so we can kind of hear his testimony and then also talk about the cancer y'all dealt with. Sounds amazing because I have to say there's some amazing, encouraging stories that I, we would love to share and uh, have the privilege of sharing thanks to the Lord. Well, we look forward to it. So I'm going to say that's a wrap. 